A bomb in a mailbox in a residential area, for instance, is unlikely to create a nationwide panic. It is virtually impossible to defend against and not worth the effort. Medium impact targets up the ante in the angst and damage they cause. Cyber terrorism can, for example, disrupt communications or financial networks. But as CNN terrorism expert Peter Bergen noted, such an attack lacks a key ingredient, drama. Al-Qaeda wants to see blood and smoke, he said. Other medium-intensity targets might include throwing a grenade on a bus or leaving a bomb in a department store. While these fulfill bin Laden's gory criteria, they are likely to be seen by the general public as localized events, unless repeated simultaneously a half a dozen times in different parts of the country, which requires considerably more planning and personnel to pull off. The third category is what really keeps officials up at night, a strike they would sow fear across the land. This usually involves, but is not restricted to, an assault on critical infrastructure, on something we all use regardless of whether we live in Tucson or Tampa Bay. Statistically, an insignificant percentage of Americans worked at the World Trade Center or the Pentagon. We all fly, relying on air travel perhaps more than any other nation on Earth, and Al-Qaeda has made us all think twice about flying. We all drink water. A lethal contamination of the water supply in any U.S. city would make us all think twice about that, too. As Pomerantz put it, if there's a chemical attack on the subway in Chicago, you think people are going to risk riding the metro in New York or Washington or anywhere else? The most dangerous targets do not necessarily produce the biggest body counts. Rather, they have a built-in psychological component. They spread the most terror. To compound the problem, protecting the homeland against any and all such assaults was an entirely new area for the U.S. government in 2002. The nuclear umbrella that had served so well during the Cold War was useless against this unconventional new adversary. NORAD radar stations can give no early warning of this enemy's strikes. Nor can the squadrons of F-16 fighter jets that now buzz over Washington with maddening frequency be easily scrambled to prevent them. This enemy keeps too low a profile. Hiding among us, they might live next door or sit next to us in business class. This enemy uses freedom as cover turning the American way of life into his most potent weapon. To fight this foe, you need an entirely new approach, along with a new technological and legal arsenal, one that stands at the ready for deployment at a moment's notice in every major city and county in the country. No easy task. Combating terror is likely going to rank among the biggest, costliest, and most daunting domestic challenges in U.S. history, up there with the New Deal and the war effort that followed the attack on Pearl Harbor. As in the case of the most ambitious government undertakings, there was no clear consensus in 2002 on how to go about it or even where to begin. Some of the most glaring weaknesses, such as the stricken commercial aviation sector, were being addressed with the hiring and training of 53,600 federal airport screeners. Emergency laws, the uniting and strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism act, more popularly known as the USA Patriot Act, generally enhanced surveillance, search, and seizure powers. Thousands of mostly illegal Muslim immigrants were detained and deported. Suspected al-Qaeda assets of 34 million were frozen in the United States, bringing the total to 124.5 million worldwide by November 2002.